This week I've been reading in the book of Matthew, and I've been particularly concentrating on Jesus' interaction with some of the saints. And what I've been wrestling with this week is, on a couple occasions, he described individuals as having great faith, and on several occasions, he described the disciples as having little faith, or being faithless, or doubting. And uh, I asked the question, what's the difference? So as I read those, uh, you want to see this, if you want to turn in your Bibles into Matthew 8 and verse 10. This is speaking of the centurion. Jesus marveled, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. You go down a couple verses right after that in 8.26. He's talking to the disciples and he asks them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Now, I want you to realize as we study this, we're talking about us that have been Um, committed to Jesus, that have been baptized, that have been coming to church on Sunday, and we say, okay, that's the great faith. And those people out there or outside, that's the little faith. Notice who is having the little faith. It's the apprentices, the disciples of Jesus Christ, the ones that have been him with three and three and a half years. And he says, O ye of little faith. For a second witness, I see in Matthew 15, verse 27, this is a woman from Canaan. Jesus is interacting with her, and he said, Jesus, a woman, great is thy faith. A couple verses later in Matthew 16, 8, he's speaking to the disciples again, and he's saying, O ye of little faith, why reason among yourselves? And he was talking about bread at that point in time. So I asked the question, what's the difference between great faith and little faith? And it's not, how often do I demonstrate little faith? It's a little bit more than that. How can I maybe be on guard for when I'm heading in that direction. Now, I want to take a moment here. I want to talk about faith. When the child of God is born again, we can go to Galatians 5, and 23. There is an implanting of faith, and that's something we have no control over. However, once we have it, we try to grow it. And in that growth, we kind of ebb and flow, and that's what I'm talking about, that faith right there. So with that being said, Uh, As I studied this out, I came to one conclusion. And the first conclusion I had is, oh, the difference between great faith and little faith is the difference between believing in God and believing God. In other words, the disciples knew he existed, but sometimes Jesus said things that were really hard. Have you ever been to a place where, no, I believe God exists, but I think he may have got that one a little wrong. He might say something like, filthy communications, corrupt good manner, but but I can take that particular video. He asks us to reach out and help the poor, and we think, yeah, but my budget's really tight, and I'll I'll get to it in a couple weeks or a couple months when things are a little bit better. You understand? We do it all the time. We rationalize in our heads. So that's the difference between believing in God and believing God. And I was happy with that. And then a couple days went by, and actually, I'm, I'm reading a book that uh, one of the administrators at the school gave me. And it's a book about making violins, of all things. Because as I had that conclusion about the difference between little faith and great faith being difference between believing in God versus believing God, I kind of felt like as I was reading these passages, there was still something missing. And it was a book about making violins that kind of opened my eyes, of all places. 
what happens is, is when you make violins, certain wood is really good for a violin and other wood is not. And one of the things they look for is they want wood where the rings are really, really tight. And for some reason, when the rings are really, really tight, it just, it's more dense and it just, the sound is better. Now, if you're a baseball player and you want to get a baseball bat made out of ash, you want the thickest rings you can probably have. But and I don't know the physics of each, but that's just the way it goes, and I believe them, and I'll just trust the word on that. So the man that did this was German. He's, he was in German. He's the, the violin maker writing this book. And he has to go way up in the Alps to find the best trees that have the tightest rings that, that he wants, these spruce trees. And what he said here in one of the earlier chapters, he said there's three people, three violin makers, and they're heading up a mountain. And he says, you ask the first one, what are you doing? The first violin maker says, I'm hiking up this steep, rocky, cold mountain. He asked the next violin maker, what are you doing? And he says, I'm looking for a very special piece of wood. And he asked the third one, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm making a violin. One has a very narrow perspective, kind of grumbling along the way. The other one's a little bit better. And the last one has a lot of joy because he sees the end. It's funny, as I read that, it made me think of something very, very similar that I read several years earlier. It was three men standing there with a shovel in their hand, digging a hole. And you ask the first guy, what are you doing? He says, I'm digging a hole. You ask the second guy, what are you doing? I'm digging a foundation because a great big wall's going up here. You ask the third guy, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral. You know what? All three guys had to dig a hole. The difference is your attitude and what you're doing it and why you're doing it. And I think... Where my definition fell short, the difference between great faith and little faith, being believing God versus believing God, believing in God versus believing God, is this perspective of what are you doing, and why are you doing it, and where does it fit in God's plan? And I think scripture agrees. Let's give you a couple references. The first one, and, and I got a preacher friend in Texas and I got a little worried because I thought every once in a while I get an idea and this is one of these ideas, violin maker scripture, am I really going off the rails on this or not? So I called him and this particular preacher is a really wise man and he got excited and he liked it. So I was a little bit comfortable doing it. But he called it minutia. Minutia is all the nitty gritty details. I think there's scripture for it. So I'm going to use that word. Matthew six thirty one, and then I'm going to skip 32, and I'm going to read 33. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall ye eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what? When you came to church today, I hope you came looking for the kingdom of God. I still hope you ate and put some clothes on. Do you understand? But I hope that wasn't such a crazy priority that it crowded out you coming here and worshiping the Lord. We've got dinner on the grounds today. And I was so happy. I'm going to embarrass my wife right now. 
She got busy last night. She didn't make the meal. And she got up this morning, and she said, you know what? I'm just going to order pizza. And I said, good for you. Good for you. Because she could have done it. But in all that hustle and bustle, she would have been in no shape to do the worship service or the pizza. And she said, I'm sorry. I said, that's okay. Once in a while, that's all right. Okay, that was the first reference. In other words, we could be so concentrating on the minutiae, we forget about the big picture. Okay, got another verse for you. Luke 10, 41 and 42. Here's a pair of sisters. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about a lot of minutiae. No, that's not what it says. About many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know what? I kind of think Mary got up early and she helped with the food preparations. But once she got there, she said, okay, put all that mess aside. I'm ready to hear the worship at Jesus' feet. And then let me give you one more. Here's an eternal verse. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know that all that stuff? It's minutia. You just, wait a second, you're saying my life is minutia? Yep, compared to Jesus Christ in eternity, it's minutia. So if we can keep our focus and keep the perspective right. But you know what? We still got to dig the hole. But it's our attitude when we're digging the hole. Let's go look at these four accounts. There's two with great faith. There's two with little faith. And, and let's read these and see what we can pick out. Now, once again, when we get to the disciples, they are children of God. God said, put down your fishing nets and come and follow me. And they did. And he ordained them. And they preached. And they healed people. And they cast out devils. And somewhere in the middle of that, they're getting bogged down in the details. So, can someone on the inside of a church that goes to church every Sunday have little faith? And the answer is, absolutely. And i got to admit to you, sometimes I'm just putting together a sermon. I feel guilty now. I'm confessing to you. I'm in Matthew 15, 22. This is a, a Canaanite woman. She's a mother. And behold, a woman... Um, as I go forward, I, I want you to notice that she asked Jesus three times to heal her daughter. And he says, no, three times. And behold, a woman of Cayman came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. He ignored her, which is the same as the no in my book. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. The disciple, not, not only did Jesus ignore her, the disciples saying, She's irritating. She's bothering us. Send her away. Notice what this woman does. She doesn't cower. She doesn't blush. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's pretty tough, Jesus. Normally, Jesus is really, really compassionate. This is an outlier compared to all those interactions with people. 
But on this particular case, he's saying, you know, my ministry is to the Jews, it's not to the Gentiles. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. This is her second request. Didn't take no for an answer. He says, okay, Jesus, I know you're primarily the Jews, but I need your help. But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. The Lord called her a dog. Now, that would send me packing, wouldn't it? It hurt my feelings. Not this woman. She's a, she's a dog. She's a bulldog is what she is. And she said, truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Wow. He ignored her. He said, you're not in my ministry. And he said, you know what? You're a dog. And she just kept on coming. Isn't that something? Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Why did Jesus call this great faith? I'll tell you what, let's read the second account and then we'll do a compare and contrast. Here's an example of great faith. Let's go to the second one a couple verses later in Matthew 16, starting at verse 5. Now, I want you to notice what the disciples' concern was. Verse 5. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Oh no, I came to church today, dinner was on the grounds, and I left the food on the counter at home. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we forgot the food on the counter, because we have taken no bread. Verse 8. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith. You know what he's saying? He says, I don't care about minutiae. He said, if you've been paying attention, bread is no stumbling block to me. I can take care of that sort of thing. That's not what I'm worried. I'm not worried about daily provisions. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad you sisters are taking care of the daily provisions. But you know what? I still got to dig the hole. Even though I'm focusing on the cathedral, we still have to dig holes. I get it. But what is your priority? And right now, this is the disciples' priority. They're so focused on the food, they're forgetting the spiritual lesson. And that's why it says you got little faith, your focus is in the wrong area. Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? How is it then you do not understand? I spake it not concerning daily provisions. I don't care about minutia. I can take care of the minutia. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. That stuff will come. Don't worry about that stuff. Focus on the Lord. That you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but for bad doctrine, of doctrine that'll get you all tied up. Okay, let's compare and contrast the, the, the two uh, accounts. The first thing I want to notice is the woman had great faith and the disciples didn't. Well, the first one, as I read this thing, both followed Jesus 
and both had expectations. I find it interesting that the woman came on behalf of another and the disciples came on behalf of themselves. I think that's kind of interesting too. Both approached with urgency. Though the disciples came confused and the woman came laser focused. I think Jesus' response probably surprised both. But the woman was undaunted. You know why? She had a perspective of who Jesus was. She knew who his being was. She knew what his will was. And she knew the only help she had was through Jesus. And she was locked in. I think the disciples, I don't know if it was familiarity. I don't know if it was callousness. I don't know if it was just at the end of a long day. I don't know what it was. But at this point in time, Jesus describes them as having little faith. You know what? That's me more than I care to admit. Let's look at the next two cases that we have. This is the centurion. Now we're going to do. We're going to read both of these. The first one is a uh, a layman with with great faith, and then we're going to go back to the disciples. I don't mean to be picking on the disciples, but there was two times we found people with great faith. But I found four times where Jesus described them as having little faith, and they were always the disciples. So that definitely would include you and I. Let's look at the centurion. I'm in Matthew eight verse five, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum. There came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of a palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. He got a little nicer response than the woman did, didn't she? Didn't he? But notice his response. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Look at this humility. I think the part of faith is the humility. He says, I didn't come to minister you. Matter of fact, I'm not even here to feed the dogs. And she says, you're right, I'm a dog. Centurion comes, he's a, he's a, he's a big shot soldier. First thing out of his mouth, he says, you know what? I'm not worthy that you're even talking to me. You know, when you have a perspective of Jesus, like big Jesus and a little you, you know what? That's good faith. You kind of got the right Jesus. You got the right being and you understand what his will is compared to you. Verse 9 says, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say unto this man, go and he goeth, and another come and he cometh, and to my servant do this and he does it. The man's saying, I know all about authority. And I know about you, and I know about your authority, and I know about me being a servant. I know about being a master, but I also know about being a servant. And this is when Jesus says, wow, that's great faith. And Jesus heard it, and he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Why would this centurion, this Gentile, exercise so great a faith compared to not only the disciples, anyone Jesus ever sought in Israel? He says, this guy's top the class. Because he knew who Jesus was, he knew his stature, he knew his very being, and he knew his will, and he submitted to all of it just like that. So part of it is believing in Jesus, but he also believed Jesus. 
And then he also realized the stuff that he does on earth is really minutia. There's something bigger going on. Verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And a servant was healed in that selfsame hour. But this guy was humble. He says, you know what? He says, I'm so low, I don't even deserve to have you in my house. Don't lower yourself and go into my house. Just speak the word. I know you've got the power. Just speak it. Just think it. And it'll be done. That's the kind of faith that he had. That's the kind of faith that the woman had. Now we're going to read about a case where the disciples believe in Jesus. But you know what? They're going to approach not the master, not the son of God. They're going to approach their teacher with a lesson gone wrong. Have you ever approached Jesus as if a lesson has gone wrong? Jesus, you told me to do it this way. didn't work out. Matthew 8, 22. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Talking about one of the disciples that was following Jesus. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. So the disciples are obedient. They're following him. They're doing all their apprentice-type things and duties. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And the disciples came to him and woke him, and he said, Lord, save us, we perish. I know it's pretty hard, but you know what? Minutia. The storm, minutia. The waves, minutia. About ready to drown, minutia. Really? Don't shoot the messenger. These are Jesus' words. And he saith, and why are you fearful? You got me in the boat with you. I gave you a command. We are supposed to preach on the other side. I'm sovereign over the elements of this planet. Don't worry, I got this. I got this, boys. Why are you fearful? Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Did you notice the last passage had the word marveled? This one has it too. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. The woman knew, the centurion knew, the disciples didn't. Well, they must be unregenerate. Sorry, guys. That's you and I. Little faith. For I am persuaded that neither death, that was the disciples, nor life, that was the disciples, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Who's worried about the next 15 months here in America? Who's worried about the last president? Who's worried about this president? Who's worried about the next president? You know what? Minutia. It's minutia. If you're that worried about it, stressed out about it, spending all your time looking at it, you know what? Minutia. You got little faith. Your focus is on the wrong thing. I've got some verses here, and I want to read them to you. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you to try to fill in the blank. And when we read these... Don't read it like it's in the Bible or the person in the Bible. Read it like it's you. I'm going to make an application to your life. And as you read it, would you describe this as great faith or little faith? 
Or would you describe this as Sunday faith or 24-7 faith? What's the difference between Sunday faith and 24-hour faith? That's the stuff you do when you're acting really nice at church. Another one is what you do when no one's watching. Matthew 5, 28, 29. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. If the right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. So the question I have for you right here would be, if the letter of the law is little faith, is the spirit of the law great faith? Amen? I didn't touch that girl. I know, but you thought about it. Is that little faith, big faith? Hmm, you'll have to think about that. Let's go to the next one, Matthew 7, 1 through 3. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And what measure ye meet, ye shall be meet. Consider not the beam in thine eye. Okay, if I judge my brother, that's little faith. But if I judge myself, is that great faith? Now I'm saying these things to kind of poke you to think. Some of these are said tongue-in-cheek. But you know what? It gets pretty close the way we think sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we think we're being holy when we judge the other person, but that might be a little faith. And when you hold up the mirror to yourself and you're really tearing your, yourself apart, that's the great faith. But you know what? No one sees that. That's why it's great. Matthew 17, 19 through 21. Then came the disciples to him. Why could not we cast him out? Jesus says, because of your unbelief. Howbeit this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. Oh, I get it. If I pray, that's little faith. And I pray and fast, that's great faith. No, you can pray and fast with little faith too. It's the motive. It's why you're doing it. Amen? I think I've shared this before you one time, a long time ago when I first started pastoring. Someone asked me a question. Brother Dolph, do you actually fast? So I preached a message on fasting. There was a young guy in the congregation. After the message, he walked out. I heard him on the porch. He said, this guy really expects us to do it. Is that great? Oh, you're going to do it? That's great faith? It depends why you do it. There's a whole bunch of people that fasted in Matthew 6. Didn't turn out too well. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter said, asked, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Jesus saith not until seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, if I forgive 489 times, that's little faith. But if I could do it 490 times, I just hit great faith. I hope you're snickering. I don't think that's how it works out, does it? Matthew 19, 4 and 5. Have you not read... He hath made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. If faith includes cultural conformance, I guess that's little faith. And if I can go countercultural, that's great faith. Is that how that works? Well, sometimes. It's just not like I can give you the rule. That's not how it works. You know why you're digging the hole. And you know if you're grumbling when you're digging the hole. And if you're grumbling when you're digging the hole, I don't care how hard it is, it's still little faith. You're not seeing the big picture. Matthew 23, 3 through 5. They bid you observe and do, but they do not. Talking about the Pharisees. They bind heavy burdens and do not lift a finger to help. That's my paraphrase. All their works are done to be seen of men. Okay, so if I preach 
obedience, that's little faith. If I model obedience, that's great faith. Well, not if I'm doing it to be a showboat. I'm right back to the little faith. That's that self-righteous faith. Okay, so how does this work? I'm sorry, but I can't give you a recipe. So here's my takeaways. The disciples believed in Jesus, whereas the centurion and the woman believed Jesus. They ardently believed both his being and his sayings. I hope we can get there when we read his word. The centurion and the woman said, I have petitioned a sovereign God. The disciples said, we have petitioned our teacher whose assignment went askew. And then the, finally, the disciples focused on the minutia, whereas the centurion and the woman focused on Jesus and his kingdom. So I ask you the question, why are we doing this? To advance the kingdom of heaven? Or are you doing it because God said it and you're afraid of getting spanked? See, any parent in here with a child from five all the way up to however old the age, they know why they're doing it. You know children that are doing it because they don't want to get a spanking or or punished. And you know children that want to do it because they want to get the car keys this weekend. You know what? That's little faith. That's little honor of the parents. But when you do it to say thank you for all the goodness and the great things that you've done and the sacrifice you've done for the child, you know what? You just cross the thing into great faith. It's not one of those things where I can just say, this is little, this is great. First of all, I can't do that. I can't look into your art that way. you got to do it. And sometimes I don't think you can do it to yourself. You just have to pray the Lord. He can. But I tell you what, the more you operate in this great faith realm, the easier it becomes. And the more you operate in it, when you're operating in the little faith the more distasteful it becomes. But if you never taste the great faith and you're just walking around just digging the hole and grumbling about the whole time, you know, you'll get used to doing that and you don't even recognize the other. So, what's my prayer for us today? That we can recognize minutia. We can recognize it. We can avoid it. We can do it, but not with stress. And we do it with the right perspective. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.